Welcome to week three of Puck and Pigskin. I'm your host, Shane Marazon. Thank you for joining me. Uh, this episode's coming a bit late, and I apologize for that. Uh, we're going to get right down to it. Um, the NFL last week had the divisional round, and I've got some overall thoughts and then some specific thoughts about the games. Then we'll get into the uh, upcoming games for the championship weekend, and then we'll talk a little bit about hockey, but this episode's going to be mostly football-based. Um so, my overall thought, and I've thought this for years, is stop playing soft D to protect the lead. It is infuriating. No one likes watching it. And I I don't know how much more of it I can take. Literally, at the end of every single game, when a team has a lead, they play soft defense and allows the opposing team to just run down the field. It is absolutely and completely infuriating. Um... And so we'll go into a couple things. The Bills did it um, with 13 seconds left. They did it even before that when they took the lead the first time. And then Kansas City went and scored, and then they had to score again, which left 13 seconds on the clock. Um, Just play the defense you've been playing all game, seriously. And if you get burned for it, fine. But I hate this soft defense thing. Now, to get uh, directly into the Bills and Chiefs, the overtime rule. Um... Everyone's going to talk about the overtime rule. I don't know much. Like, my thought is each team should have to get the ball regardless of the score made. For example, that score by the Chiefs, then the Bills should have gotten it. I think it has should have to end with a stop. Or essentially think of it as set of two. The first team gets the ball, they score a field goal. You got to score a touchdown to win or a field goal to keep it going, right? I think the same thing should be the case in the rest of the the overtime. I think think of them as a set of two, each team's possessions. You get a touchdown, cool. I get a chance to get a touchdown. I get a touchdown, cool. We keep going. Next set of two. I get a touchdown, you get a stop, game over. Or tie game, I get a stop, get a touchdown, game over, or field goal. At the end of a set of two, if there's a team leading, that team wins. If it's tied, you keep playing. That's the way it should be, or something like that, to that effect. Now, there was no squib kick with 13 seconds left. I think this was a huge mistake, because if they squibbed it, not a short squib, but like a 30-40 yard squib kick, right? You take the instant that ball touches the ground, the clock starts running. You take off approximately, I think the average first squib kick is like five seconds, six seconds. You give them the ball around the 30 yard line, and they would have like seven seconds left. And I don't think it's possible from there, even for them to have done anything. I think that was a big mistake by the coach. <sighs> These two will be going at it for years, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. It's going to most likely, and I don't mean they'll be at the level of Brady and Manning, but it's going to be something awfully similar to that. We're going to see a lot of games in the playoffs between the two of them. Sometimes one team will win the divi- the conference and have home field advantage, and sometimes the other way. It's just going to be a reality. And honestly, I'll get into it in a minute, but I think Joe Burrow is also in that conversation. I think it might be a three-way thing between the three of them for the next 10 years or so. <clears throat> 
both QBs played perfectly. There, There's not much better you can have expected either of them to play. And so I'm not going to fault Josh Allen for this loss. He played phenomenally. He did not play poorly in any aspect of the word. Uh, Josh Allen played phenomenally. Patrick Mahomes played phenomenally. It was just a who got the coin toss in the overtime. I think that's really all my thoughts on the Bills and Chiefs game. It was a really entertaining game to watch. Uh, Those last two minutes were absolutely insane, but shouldn't have happened. Um, Now, we're going to get into the other AFC Divisional game, the Bengals and Titans. Um, The Bengals are surpassing expectations. My thoughts were they would win one playoff game. That's pretty much where I thought. But they need an offensive line. I, I don't see them winning... I'll get into it later, but I don't know what they can do. They need to get a better offensive line. It was literally like there was no offensive line. But yet Joe Burrow still passed for over 300 yards, which is a huge accomplishment. And it's not something that should be taken lightly in any respect of the word. But now I'm going to talk about minute for a couple minutes about the Jimmy Garoppolo, the Ryan Tannehill interceptions. The first one, kind of on him. You should have seen the rusher coming. The other two, though, not really on him. Like, I I can't blame him, especially for that last one. I cannot blame him for throwing it right to a guy's hands and the guy's guy not being able to hold on to it. Like, I'm sorry, but I don't. I don't blame the quarterback for that. I do think that the Titans are limited because of their quarterback. I think they have the pieces, if they get a good quarterback, to be a Super Bowl contending team. Like, right now. So, here's the thing. Derrick Henry didn't play well either, though. We can't just put this on Tannehill. It's just not right. It's not fair. Henry didn't play well. They had that one huge run, not by Henry. Uh, And they got the touchdown off of that, I believe, or was that the pick possession? Either way, Henry was not effective yesterday, uh, the other day. Not at all. Not even remotely effective. Um, And so there's some things that obviously, yeah, he came back because he had to play. I get it, but he'll figure it out. I have no doubt that they will work through it, and I think he'll be fine. I don't think it's going to be a long-term issue. He still looked like he had his legs. He just wasn't able to um, finish on anything. He couldn't He couldn't break tackles as much. It might have just been great defensive play, but so the Bengals won, and it was kind of low-scoring crappy game almost. Uh, I don't know how much to talk about. Burrow seems unaffected by pressure. Every time we talk about a quarterback, we're like, oh, their kryptonite is pressure. Yeah, because that's what you're supposed to do. Like, I hate that people talk about it like it's a detriment to a player. Most players aren't good under pressure. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is probably the worst quarterback I've ever seen under pressure in terms of the scale of his regression. But... um, and he's had some of the best offensive lines ever throughout his career. But no, no quarterback does great under immense pressure. No quarterback would do great under nine sacks. And I can't remember the total number of pressures and knockdowns, but it was ridiculous. It was something like a third of plays, if not more, he was pressured on. Now, it was more than a third of plays. Now, he still threw for over 300 yards. 
Um, he still looked great. He looked poised. It looked like it really didn't bother him. Now, the sacks mattered because of the yardage they had to overcome at times throughout the game, the down and distances. Um, they don't... Uh, if they don't get sacked that much, they don't have to overcome that down and distance. So I'm not placing that on Burrow and them not being able to cover some down and distances and score more. And we might have a similar issue in Kansas City this week. Now on to the Rams and Bucks game. Brady to retire? I don't know. This is coming out after yesterday. We had that whole big news that he was retiring and then he's not retiring. We'll see. I think one of two options for what happened yesterday was Brady had a private conversation with someone and was talking with them about how he's thinking about retirement, and it became a game of telephone. And he, the guy he was talking to, oversold it to, I can't remember the reporter's name, who then oversold it to Adam Schefter. Um, everyone else just snowballed and picked up on that is so it, those two guys and so we'll see and then reports came out that he talked to the GM and said he hasn't made his decision yet and to be honest with you I don't think he's going to retire um, I, I would say it's probably 50-50 now maybe 60-40 retire but I don't think he's going to because everyone points out that at the, after the Super Bowl win last year Giselle you could see Giselle whisper into his ear, what left do you have to prove? And that's true. He has nothing left to prove. He could retire now on top of the world. He should be the MVP. Undoubtedly, he should be the MVP. The only stat Rodgers has in beat is in a uh, number of interceptions, and that's because Rodgers plays timid and like a coward because he knows it's his only real stat he has. But I'll get into that when we get to the Green Bay game. But he should be the MVP this year. He's still playing great, and he always said he'd play till he wasn't good anymore now our definition and his of good are vastly different um but i think mvp caliber season is still within the realms of good setting the most completions in a season i think is also good um now stafford's kind of lived up to the billing here he got him past tampa bay that's where you were worried about Jared Goff. You expected Jared Goff to beat Arizona or whatever in the wildcard round. The question was beating Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay. And they did that. Um, now here's the issue. Um, they should they should not have won that game. Uh, this goes back to my issue of soft defense. Uh, the Bucks played a soft defense once they retook the once they tied the game, and that's ridiculous. They should not have let them drive down the field and get that field goal to win the game. I think it's it was absolute lunacy that game should have been headed to overtime, where once again it would have been decided by a coin flip. But there's one thing I want to more talk about about Brady's retirement here is. After that thing with Giselle telling him what left do you have to prove and people started speculating he'd retire then, you know what he ended up doing a couple weeks later? He ended up signing a one-year extension. That's this next year coming up. He had, when he went to Tampa, he signed a two-year deal, and after the Super Bowl, he signed a one-year extension. And here's the thing. To me, what that sounded like was after the Super Bowl, him and his wife took some time, had a discussion, and said, I've always wanted, and Brady said, I've always wanted to play till I was 45. 
That's what I've been saying for the last decade, and I want to do it. That would be him playing one more season. And I believe he's going to. I believe that's the reason they came to that decision and said, okay, we'll sign the one-year extension, and then that's it. I I get that people think it might not happen because of the fact that they believe that Brady isn't happy with the loose culture in Tampa and that they couldn't get their stuff together after the Super Bowl, after winning the Super Bowl. They all kind of let it get to their heads, and I get that. I, I really do get that. Um, it's kind of why it's hard to repeat as Super Bowl champs. It's never easy because you win and all those players, especially bringing back all those players. To be honest with you, I think that everyone took that as positive. I might have taken that as a negative. Yeah, it's a team you won the Super Bowl with, but it's also a team of all entirely guys who just won. So some are bound to not give it their all or be a little looser. If you have some turnover um, in the right places, you can be just as good of a team, but you have guys who weren't there the year before still driving. It, um, And I think he might have been tired, gotten tired over the whole AB situation. And it's quite possible he could retire. Like I said, 50-50, 60-40 even that he retires. But I, there's something in my gut telling me he'll play out this last year. Um, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, the Rams go on to host the... Uh, NFC Championship game, and then possibly uh, the Super Bowl. If they win in the NFC Championship game, they will have played back-to-back home games. Now, 49ers in Green Bay. The Niners should have won that game. I don't like hearing any whatever about it. Jimmy G nearly gave it away with the his red zone pick, um, but the defense and special teams saved him, and that's true. That is entirely true. But that's the point of this team. This team is strong enough to cover for Jimmy G's mistakes. And it'll be strong enough to cover for the rookie next year. Or first year playing next year. And Trey Lance. It, it That's the design of this team. But here's the thing. Jimmy G hasn't thrown a touchdown in the playoffs yet. But Green Bay should have been able to win... But you can't with Rodgers. Rodgers is a it's is very timid, especially in the playoffs. But throughout his entire career, he's known that the only stat he's going to have to be remembered by is, wow, he never threw interceptions. And that's an issue because the fact that he never throws interceptions doesn't help if you're not winning. You, you don't want to be the gunslinger. I get it. He saw Favre and he saw how people weren't you know eventually got tired of Favre's picks and so Rodgers dedicated himself to not throwing huge amounts of picks um but Favre was the total opposite end of the spectrum you got to have that balance like Brady will throw picks he'll throw maybe eight to ten to twelve whatever picks a year right but he does it because he's taking the risks that you have to take to be a championship-level winning team. You've got to take risks. You can't play timid. The instant they had a lead, Rodgers looked like he was playing to protect the league for three quarters of that game and playing timid and playing soft, and it, it's never going to work. That's why Rodgers struggles in the playoffs is because especially in the playoffs, it gets worse. It is exacerbated. He is not a fan of risk. He is severely risk-averse. He is severely, and like I mentioned earlier, he is, I think his record after having been sacked once 
like his completion percentage drops to like 50%. Like it's, it's abysmal. He does, he, I know I said, this is a cliche, but him above all else, his stats drop like a stone. If he sacked once, it's, it's ridiculous how timid this guy is. He's not willing to stand there and throw it. Like, he's like, nah, I can't throw a pick because that's what I'm going to be remembered as. And it's why he's only ever won one Super Bowl. The Niners, I don't, I know their record against uh, the Rams is very good and they beat them a couple weeks ago and they beat them twice this year, but I'm not, I can't back them. I I, I really, truly can't back them. So we're going to start our discussion of this upcoming week here with the Rams-Niners game. I have trouble backing the Niners in this situation because of Jimmy G. They both have great defensive lines. They both have pretty good offense. The thing is, with Sam Darnold and Von Miller, not Sam Darnold, Oive, Aaron Donald, my bad, Aaron Donald and Von Miller coming off the edge, uh, Aaron Donald collapsing the pocket in, pushing the quarterback back, making it easier for Von Miller to go around the lineman as opposed to through the lineman or under the lineman as he is wont to do. I I think he'll be getting to Jimmy G all day. You might get Aaron Donald have a sack here or there, and then you've got Leonard on the other end. It's it's a recipe for disaster for um, Jimmy G, but... We'll see what ends up happening here. I'm just, I I have a hard time believing that he's going to um, have a clean pocket pretty much at all today. And he hasn't thrown a touchdown yet in the playoffs. And I don't think, I know their running game is great and Debo Samuel's great. I just, I don't see it working. Like, I see it working to an extent, but I think that the running game now with Cam Akers right back of the Rams. And I think the passing game with Matthew Stafford, as long as Matthew Stafford avoids throwing two picks, because I think Jimmy will throw a pick. So I think it's okay if Stafford throws one. But if Stafford throws two picks early on or late on, it might be a different story. But if they, if he keeps it clean, honestly, though, he didn't throw a pick last week. There were a bunch of turnovers and fumbles in the end of that game against Tampa Bay, but he didn't throw a pick. And so I'm not going to blame him for that. He has had some untimely picks this year. So I I think this game is, I, I think this game is a hundred percent in the hands of the 49er in the hands of the Rams. Um, I think it's theirs to lose. They have the home field advantage. Um, yes, I get it. San Francisco is right near there. And so there will be a, decent amount of San Francisco fans in the stands, but I think this is a good opportunity for the Rams, and I think they will be making it back to the Super Bowl. Now, we're going to jump into talking about the Bill, the Chiefs versus the Bengals. I alluded to it a little bit earlier. The issue here, even though the Bengals just beat the, just beat the Chiefs, couple weeks ago what you're gonna see happen is kind of what happened in the bills game last week i think to an extent you're going to have like stefan diggs was taken out of the game and even cole beasley you're gonna have jamar chase taken out of the game i think they're not gonna allow him to burn them for 
266 yards and three touchdowns like he did the last time they played. I think he will, he'll be a factor, obviously, and he'll get a couple big things, but he won't be crossing the 200-yard threshold. He might even cross 100, but they will keep him relatively in check, I believe. And so that's going to lead to a higher ex, uh, higher catch total for someone like Tyler Boyd, I think. T. Higgins always gets his. Him and Chase get their their own catches separately. Um, but I think this will up Tyler Boyd's uh, potential here. And it's actually in one of my bets that we're going to get to in a little bit. So I, I definitely think Tyler Boyd has a much bigger day than he's had in the last couple. Uh, it's not, you know, outlandish for me to think that, you know, Tyler Boyd goes like six for 75 in a TD or something, you know, six for a hundred in a TD maybe, but it, I think it'll be a close game. But once again, the pressure might be an issue. Can they, can the offensive line protect Burrow enough for him to get the ball to his receivers downfield. Because that's the huge thing. They are the biggest play offense this season. Not the Chiefs. Not the Bills. The Bengals had the most plays of over 20 yards. The most touchdowns of over 20 yards. They are the biggest big play offense in the league this year. And if Burrow can have a clean pocket. I think they will probably win this game. If he can have a relatively clean pocket. If he doesn't get sacked nine times. Let's say he gets sacked three or four times, I think they have a good shot to win this game. Burrow in the second half of the year has been much better protecting the ball. There was a little hiccup early in the season of a couple games where he threw picks, uh, but he's a young quarterback. That's going to work itself out, and I think he was a little timid early on with his leg. So I, I definitely believe this game is going to be close. Um, I definitely think this game is going to be a lot more high scoring than the 49ers and Rams game. I think it'll be more entertaining. Um, we might even get another overtime thriller. Uh, I hope not because then it'll be again via Twain Koss. Uh, and so though now we're, we're going to get into my picks. Realistically, Rams Chiefs. But I've been riding with the Bengals all year. And so I'm not going to stop riding with the Bengals. Even last week when I said I thought that was their ceiling, I picked them. So I'm going to do essentially the same this week. I think realistically I should not be picking them, but I'm going to pick a Bengals Rams Super Bowl. Also, because I think it's my favorite Super Bowl. I Out of all the possible combinations of the last four teams, that's my favorite Super Bowl. Now, if it was the Bills and the... Uh, and the Bengals, I wouldn't really care who wins. I'm just not really thrilled to see Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl right now, like the Chiefs, honestly. And I'm not really thrilled to see the 49ers there right now. They're just not they're not entertaining enough, to be honest with you. Um, but that's my pick. It's going to be the Rams against the Bengals in SoFi Stadium in L.A. in two weeks from now. Now, we're going to quickly get into some hockey uh, before we jump into the bets of the week. Uh, I've done phenomenally throughout the playoffs, as you can attest from the record I've on these uh, podcasts. Uh, we're going to talk about 
Um, a couple things. One thing I really wanted to mention was the Vegas Golden Knights goals against average last year versus this year. Last year, it was a historic low of 2.18. Historic low in the context of our current seasons. Generally, a good is considered 2.5 or even like 2.8 or lower, and they were at 2.18. This year, they're at 3.08, which is honestly a little above average, like a little below average, like they're a little worse than average, but... Um, they'll figure it out. Uh, that's why I think they had the slow start to the season because they couldn't count on the vigorous goaltending. They've got a good goaltender. They just didn't have a Marc-Andre Fleury goaltender anymore. And so I think that it took them a little time to adjust having to play more solid D in general. Um, and they've rebounded strongly. And when Jack Eichel gets back if he can get back this season if it works out there that's what they've been missing the last couple of years they have been missing that star punch that knockout blow um that you need one superstar and if jake eichel isn't ruined by buffalo like taylor hall he just went to the bruins and slotted right in if jake eichel hasn't been ruined by buffalo and that shoulder heals properly uh, i believe it was shoulder maybe it was a vertebrae um if his injury heals properly and he wasn't ruined by Buffalo and he can quickly learn and come back, then they're a team. They're anyways, a cup favorite, right? It's probably Colorado and Minnesota who are my other two. It's those three are essentially the three in my discussion of the cup from the West. Um, but if Jack Eichel comes back and he plays well, if stone comes back and he's back in form, then I'm, then they probably move to one. Right now, I think I have Colorado one. I think Vegas moves to one clearly if Eichel plays well for them. And he's on a, he has another year on the end of that. So I don't think it's necessary for them to win now. I think it's more a need for them, for him to show he can play well in the offense and they can work on stuff over the offseason and come back retooled. Now, other thing I wanted to talk about in the NHL was obviously Minnesota. I think Minnesota is absolutely phenomenal. They are most likely, I believe, going to finish in second place in their division below Colorado. Right now they're at fourth, but they're back two points against St. Louis and three points against Nashville, yet have five games in hand against St. Louis and four games in hand against Nashville. They win two of those five or six games, and they pass both of them. So I I think uh, Minnesota is the clear number three in that division. Uh, I don't really see any other option for that. Now, you've got Vegas holding up their end of the division at also at 55 points, similar to Minnesota. Minnesota has 39 games, 55 points. Vegas is 45 games, 55 points, leading their division. Anaheim is at 54, and the Kings are at 51. My previous prediction of the Anaheim being the one left out may not come true. It might be reversed. And I did say that it's going to be either Anaheim or the Kings that fall out because as Calgary is making up these games, they are winning. And as they are winning, they are gaining in the race. They are now three points behind the Kings and six points behind Anaheim. They have seven games in hand on Anaheim and five games in hand on the Kings. That is five and 14 points respectively available to them to catch up. I think Calgary will probably end up two or three and I can very easily see uh, Anaheim or the Kings falling out to the 
lower tier of four and possibly a wild card spot, but also possibly not. Uh, I could see it getting stolen by someone else, but we'll see. We'll have to wait and see on that. Now, in the Eastern Conference, I strongly still believe Carolina. They are leading the division. They are got games in hand on everyone. You know, three games against Pittsburgh, four games against the Rangers and Washington. So I think they're well in hand of uh, this uh, division right now. However, the issue is March. March is going to be hellish, like literally hellish on them. It's brutal. They play like six back-to-backs in the month of March alone and against a lot of good teams. So that's going to be a rough going for them. But uh, I just wanted to praise their GM, who I believe has done a phenomenal job since he's got there. No one's panicked in the organization because they didn't live up to certain expectations after their first good year. Um, Now, going on to the Atlantic, you've got Florida, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Boston. I think those are your four, uh, the order of which is still to be determined. Both Toronto and Boston have four or five games, respectively, against Florida and Tampa Bay. Toronto's at 40, Boston 41, Florida and Tampa at 45. So, respectively, that's 10 and 8 points of... That's 10 and 8 points available to those teams to catch up. Um, If not, say they win all of them, let's say one gets 6 and one gets 8 points out of them, you could definitely see, like, if Toronto gets 8 points, right... That puts them ahead of Tampa Bay right now. If they, in those five games, they get eight points or seven points even, they would be seven points, they'd be tied, eight or more points, they'd be ahead of Tampa. Um, if Boston would be slightly below them, but if they win all of their games in hand, but still, it's it's a very close, it's a very close race. Florida is ahead at 67 points. So we'll have to wait and see how all of that shakes out. Um, But I do believe that we've got our playoff set, like I've mentioned before. That's why I'm not going to go into great detail about these teams. But I would want to say about one team is the Islanders have been winning as of late. They've gotten back to 500. We'll, uh, We'll see what ends up happening there with them. I think that's all I've got for the hockey side today. It wasn't a very long week, so there weren't that many games. It wasn't as eventful this week. Um, Big things to mention. The Kings right now are beating the Penguins. The Rangers are beating the Kraken as I'm recording this. Ducks beat Senators. I'm just trying to see if there were any big, like, important games. Oh, Evander Kane played for the Oilers and got his first goal. Um... That's worth noting. Yeah, that's that's about all. Uh, if you want to talk about the Capitals' power play struggle, uh, like I mentioned last week, they started playing a little bit more, like I said they should, with Backstrom at the half wall, and it was looking real good. And then the next game, it didn't look as good, but they still looked like a better power play, but no goals came of it. I think they went 0-5 in those two games. And so the following game, they went back to Kuznetsov on the half wall, and they looked abysmal. They looked like they can't pass because they can't. Kuznetsov is a good passer. He's not a good through-traffic cross-ice passer. Backstrom came back, 
they put Backstrom back and they scored. They were two of two against Dallas on the power play, uh, all via lateral passing by Backstrom. One to Wilson, one to Carlson. So we'll see how that goes. That's one game, but I think if they stick with it, their power play will definitely increase. And if it does, then we're going to have a very close race in the Metropolitan Division. So now to hop into betting, we've got a couple things uh, here that I like. It's not nearly as good of a week, so it's going to be a bit tougher. Um, I am betting a parlay with San Francisco and uh, the Bengals because I like the underdog parlay here just money value wise. I, I didn't put very much on it, but I do like the the parlay there of the two of the two teams to win. Now, I have San Francisco plus three and a half. While I think the Rams are gonna win, I think it will be by a field goal. Right? I don't think it'll be a big blowout. If it is, okay. Not a big bet, not a big payoff there. Cincinnati plus seven is a phenomenal bet. Um and the reason is Everyone used to think it was plus seven that matters. It's not. It's plus six that matters. Since the advent of the moving back of the extra point and more field goals, you actually end on the number six more than you do seven. So really, six and a half is that hook, and you're getting the extra hook. You're getting the extra point entirely. So if the game ends at six or less, you win. And I think that's important. But it's also important because if it is a touchdown, like a late touchdown to win, tie game, late touchdown to win, what you have is, first of all, late touchdown to win. If it's really late, like time running out late to win, you don't kick the extra point. So there's also that aspect. But what you also have is if it is a touchdown, you draw. You, you push, you get your money back, which I think is a very good thing as well. I personally bet on the money line because I'm sticking behind him. Here's my big bet of the week, essentially. Um, my big odds bet of the week is my same game parlay for the early window. CJ Uzama, total catches, four. If you followed me last week and you heard, you would have made money on my uh, Bengals bet. I've been real good with the Bengals receiving. Travis Kelsey, longest reception, plus 24 and a half, over 24 and a half. Evan McPherson, total kicking points, over seven and a half. Um, this was risky. I did this for odds purposes. You can definitely go with either the over two and a half, um, the over two and a half extra points and the over two, over one and a half uh, field goals. I think both are going to hit and the odds were better on to his total, uh, the, it was plus 110 on his uh, total kicking points, so I took that to boost up the payout. But you can take either one for this parlay. It's still a very good parlay either way. Joe Burrow over two passing touchdowns. If he doesn't have two passing touchdowns, one of two things happened. The Bengals get completely blown out of the water, or they just get down very close to the red zone a lot and decide to run the ball. It's possible, but I, I think... Joe Burrow will have two passing touchdowns. And the last but not least is Jamar Chase's longest reception of over 27 and a half. Now, I talked about the fact that I believe he will be held in check for the most part. I think he'll still definitely get one catch of close to 30 yards probably. Thank you for listening to Puck and Pitskin. Once again, I'm your host, Shane Marazon. Please like and follow. Uh, have a good weekend, and let's enjoy some football.